beautiful souls, here's a preview of today's discussion. She's getting in touch with what does her heart want? And she puts her mind to work on on what capacities that's going to take her talents or resources or, and she, she lives that out with all of her passion and her strength and her soul and all of that. And she's investing that for the first time. And she does a little bit of that every day. Well, who knows in a handful of years, she might be a heart surgeon. That's how it happens. Yeah. Consistency. Yeah. It, it comes from the investment of who we are in each moment. Beautiful soul, have you ever wanted to speak to angels? Do you believe angels can support you in your daily life? If this is you, go to my website homepage, theangelmedium.com and sign up for my weekly angel message email. As a gift for signing up, I'm giving you access to free resources, including 31 healing meditations that if you do daily are going to help you hear your angels and your own intuition more clearly. Start using these today and you'll see changes in 31 days. Now, take a deep breath. Feel the presence of your angels as they fill you with love, joy, peace, bliss, and ease. And remember, your angels say the messages that resonate with you in today's episode are meant just for you. Hello, beautiful souls. Welcome back to the Angels and Awakening podcast. I'm your host and author, Julie Jancis. And friends, you are in for a treat. If you are listening today, we have Dr. Henry Cloud. And if you're thinking to yourself, Julie, I know that name. Where do I know it from? He is a New York Times bestselling author many times over. He has helped tens of millions of people around the world. In fact, my mom called me years ago and she goes, Julie, stop what you're doing. She goes, you need to head over and buy this book called Necessary Endings. She said, I read it. It is the most amazing book. It has changed my life. And she said, I know it's going to change your, your life too. Dr. Henry Cloud has a new book coming out. It's called Trust, Knowing When to Give It, When to Withhold It, How to Earn It, and How to Fix It When It Gets Broken. And friends, you and I both know how many empaths listen to this show, and trust is hard. So we are so excited to have you here, Dr. Cloud. Thank you for being here. Well, it's good to be here. I um, I was was thinking that that's when you read the subtitle, I went, oh my gosh, we can, <laughs> we're all in all those categories, right? <laughs> yes. Yes. Well, and I think so much of your work resonates with me as an empath. I believe that there are people within this world who feel everything. Um, and there are some people who are more maybe yeah. closed off and, and don't feel as much, but, um, to go back to your your point like with necessary endings when my mom called about about that there's somebody in our life going through a divorce at that time and she really i remember the story she went to a grief group and she said you know i i don't feel grief she said i feel relief that yeah. that this is finally here and she said is that because I pre-processed the grief? Like, 
Like I went through it beforehand and it really made me stop to think that a lot of empaths maybe do pre-process their feelings months before making a big decision like that. So when the decision arises, can yeah. there be relief? Yeah, you know, it's interesting. Um, a phrase you said there, a lot of empaths will pre-process their feelings. Another way to say that is because the underbelly of that is they in the relationship or in the situation, they will post process their negative feelings that would stand up and not put up with it anymore. And so, so in other words, you know, they're they're so in a good way. I mean, it's a wonderful way to be in the world is to be to be tuned in and sensitive to other people, their needs, what they're feeling, that that's an incredible quality. We were we were having a, a dinner dinner party last night and 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 we we're talking about our dogs. We have a Doberman who's the love of our lives. And but but we were talking about she has the most amazing ability to know who we're running into on the street without knowing them. And you know, so she just but every now and then there'll be a person or a dog and 30 feet away, the hair goes up on her back. There's something wrong with this person. <laughs> you know. <laughs> and so the empaths, the opening up is processed very quickly, but the negative, being able to express the negative feelings and the anger and the hurt and all of that about the relationship because they keep trying to love too long in a certain way, yeah, that's a little slower. And so then when it finally hits, it can't take it anymore. And all that is done, then the, the early loving stuff and all the attachment that's been so spoiled, a lot of times they do walk away and go, gosh, I'm glad that's over. Yeah. But if they could have, you know, one of the growth paths of of empaths or anybody on the other end of the spectrum or all the different dimensions, you know, of a human. If you're familiar with the Myers-Briggs, for example, a lot of people, so a lot of people will say, well, I'm just a INFP or I'm just a this or I'm just a that. And on the scales, if you take like, like thinking and feeling, you know, that that's one of the scales and they'll say, well, I'm a thinker or, you know, I'm a feeler. Well, that's like a, it's like an X-ray. It's like a snapshot. And people don't use it like Carl Jung actually designed the system behind it to be used, which is maturity is to integrate the disintegrated parts of you. So if somebody is all thinking, what do we try to do? We try to get and realize you're a human being that has some feelings somewhere. We just have to find them, right? Yes. And yes. I think it's like, it's like that with your saying that with the empaths, it's, a lot of the growth path has to do with, okay, in your love, also be aware of when you're getting hurt and when something's dangerous. Mm -hmm. So you have other books and I'm just gonna read some titles here so that this makes sense to the listener. You have uh, Necessary Endings, Boundaries, Boundaries for Marriage, Boundaries for Kids, Boundaries for Leaders. These are all different book titles. Uh, Difficult Conversations, The Power of the Other, The Law of Happiness, uh, 10 Things You'll Never Do Again, Integrity, your new book, Trust. And when you're talking about this 
majority of the listeners are are women ages like 25 to about 65 who listen to the podcast and there are a lot of people talking about relationship troubles right now i know that we went through COVID three years ago but i still feel like we're feeling some of the remnants of that within relationships now you know my husband and i went through a lot years ago but we caught it in time just like not knowing how to communicate with one another, not knowing how to set boundaries, that we were able, like we never lost the love and we were able to come back to one another. But people go through all different types of things in relationships. How does one know where to begin with setting the boundaries and when the relationship has run its course? Well, Hopefully, you know, we talk about boundaries. Hopefully, the relationship doesn't necessarily have a course that it's going to run. And, and that is how we feel, exactly the way you said it. If the relationship just ran its course. Well, actually, what happened was two people ran together, and that's the path they found themselves on because they weren't conscious enough, maybe to end up down a different path. Now, that's not always the case because bad people happen to good people. I mean, you can't ultimately control another person. But what we do know about any relationship is that we can influence any relationship by our own, our own behavior. And so you can change the path of a relationship by one person's changing. Now, it may not be change it into the ideal <laughs> the ideal place you don't know, but if you know, if if you were the really bad person who and the nature of the relationship is they're hurting you over and over and over again, you can change the path by uh changing your phone number and moving to Australia, right? That changes the path of the relationship. So so what boundaries are all about really is the the construct of taking control of yourself. Boundaries you know, if you think of a boundary, it's a property line. Mm-hmm. Right? So your your house, for example, if you own or rent a home or an apartment or whatever it is, there's a property line. And that's the boundary. And that says where you end and someone else begins. So you got a neighbor, right? Well, the things that what boundaries help us define is I am a person, you are a person, and we are we're separate, even though we're connected. And the property line defines who gets to control what. That's the thing about your house. Your neighbor can't come in and, and paint it chartreuse green, right? They just, unless you say yes, right? And they got to ring the doorbell. You can't just come in. You got to ring the doorbell and you've got to open the door, check them out. And if you like them and they brought you, you know, some cookies or something, you can invite them in. So boundaries are permeable. But the point is, we have control of them. So you go back to the relationship. And if people get into a relationship and, and, and I mean, there's a thousand different things that could happen, but a common one is, you know, you don't, didn't have any couple that ever fell in love and walked down the aisle. And as they're walking down the aisle said, I can't 
wait to hate you and divorce you. (laughs) (laughs) Nope. That wasn't the path, right? Yeah. But what happened was, you know, once you go further into an attachment, you're getting deeper into the heart, really. You're getting deeper into networks of of memories. You're getting deeper into pathways of of behavior that, that don't come out with somebody at the grocery store. And so then certain things will get triggered or certain patterns will interlock with each other that you hadn't run into. And then the ways that we handle those can either open the door where they can continue to hurt you someone can continue to hurt you or we say that hurts in a way that hurts them. (laughs) And so now we're triggering each other. Right. And, and bound what boundaries among other things enables, uh, empowers us to do really, because we already kind of sort of born with the ability to do this. A baby, look, if you look at a baby, yeah, you have children, right? Do you remember when they were born, the only two words they knew how to say? Yes and no. Yeah. I mean, and, and they didn't have the words, but what, 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 what does a baby do? All right, so imagine, imagine seeing this, okay? If a baby, a baby, something pleasurable happens, their head starts to go up and down like this. And if something tastes bad, they turn their heads to the side and they, you know, it's like they're going, no, they're actually saying yes, no. It's built in to the system. Wow. It's, it's built in something good and life-giving and pleasurable. We're supposed to open up. That's what the book Trust is about. Mm-hmm. Supposed to open up and allow that in. And if something's toxic, we're supposed to close the door. That's the boundary and say no. Well, a lot of times we come into adulthood. Now, I mean, everybody but you. I know you came into adulthood fully mature and all oh. everything all worked out. <laughs> a but bunch of baloney. You, <laughs> you would be surprised. <laughs> Some people come into adulthood without well-developed boundaries because they've been abused or they've been controlled. Yeah. They never were really allowed to say no to something that's hurting them. Oh, for sure. Yeah. They learned that they're an object of somebody else's well-being and they're there. I'm still working on boundaries. Sure. We all are. So, so a lot of times it's not until the relationship starts to hurt a little bit that we start to think about how do we develop these new patterns. And so that's kind of how boundaries works in relationships. Yeah. And the great thing is it's not all about fences and and keeping people from hurting us. Boundaries have to do with taking ownership of your life. And one of the things we talk a lot about is that a human, um, you know, I'm a person of faith and and, and I refer to, to some of my favorite verses sometimes. And one of them is that, that, that Jesus said one time, he said, he said, don't cast your pearls before swine. They'll trample, you know, or don't give what is holy to dogs. They'll chew you up and spit you out. 
And you start thinking about the pearls of a human are your treasures. You know, these are pearls or treasures. So what are the treasures that live inside the human breast? Well, our feelings, our attitudes, our behaviors, our choices, the things we love, our values, our desires, our talents, our thoughts, all of those things that reside inside of us, those are treasures. And the fences, the boundaries are to keep people from trampling on all the wonderful things in your heart, mind, and soul. But it's not just playing defense. It's also taking ownership. And a lot of people that have, have been controlled and abused and all that, they're so worried about keeping this dysfunctional person, you know, either away or happy or, or you know, not hurting them. They've never even taken the time to look in their own house and own their own desires and dreams and, and values. And what do I want my life to look like? And when somebody starts building boundaries against somebody coming and stealing everything, you can also go into the attic where a bunch of good stuff is stored that you've never owned and say, well, I never knew I had this talent, this desire, this dream. I think I'll go back to school. I, but you never did that because somebody else was controlling your life. Mm -hmm. So boundaries are positive as well as negative. Yeah. I have a friend who's a couple of friends actually who are going through divorces right now. And I had a conversation with one last night and I said, well, who are you? You know, like, who are you outside question. of the marriage? Yeah. Like you haven't had to think about that for almost 25 years. And I think it's to your point of exactly what you were saying there. She has this attic full of passions, desires, and who she really is that she hasn't tuned into for for a while. Yeah. Everybody, everybody's born basically, in the way I look at it, with two things. You know, we're all different in so many ways. But every every human has two things. One is you have a certain number of moments. And for some people it's a hundred years, for other people it's less, right? But we have a certain and I, I'm not going to say amount of time because it's hard to think about how we're going to use a lifetime. All we can do in any moment is be in that moment, right? And that's going to add up one day, but it's, it's like, we know that. I mean, all everything that science and metaphysics and all of it is, it, it's all about the power of the present and the now, right? So, the, so we have... And back to faith, you know, that's what Jesus said. It's all about today. Don't worry about tomorrow. You're not in tomorrow and you can't do anything about it anyway. But what you do is what you can do today that, that might affect tomorrow. But it's all about today. So we have a certain number of moments, A. B, you have the power of your heart, mind, soul, and strength to invest in each moment. So a life gets built by whatever, you know, an investment gets a return. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so if we're investing, it's like you said about, about your friend, if she's getting in touch with what does her heart want? And she puts her mind to work on, on what capacities that's going to take or talents or resources or 
And she, she lives that out with all of her passion and her strength and her soul and all of that. And she's investing that for the first time. And she does a little bit of that every day. Well, who knows? In a handful of years, she might be a heart surgeon. That's how it happens. Yeah. Consistency. Yeah. It, it comes from the investment of who we are in each moment. And you're going to, and a lot of people aren't back to boundaries in a relationship where they're being controlled, for example. They're not able to or are choosing not to or for risks or other payoffs or whatever. They're not investing in self-protection at that moment. Mm-hmm. And so what boundaries do is try to help people. We're in control of that. Yeah. We really are in control of that. That's human freedom. It helps give like uh, your boundaries almost write an owner's manual for other people to learn how to treat you. That's pretty good. I love the word owners. That that's um that's something that I just thought of like as I was reading your books though. Like that is truly something as I was reading your boundaries books. I really felt like it was the owner owner's manual. Oh well, yeah, yeah. pretty good. That's awesome. Let's go over to trust your new book, My, Trust. Mine's easy to read. So, some people's owner's manual for their lives is like a Bentley or a Tesla. Mine's kind of like, you know, a little Volkswagen. It's kind of simple. Yeah. <laughs> That's perfect. That's oh perfect. <laughs> um, I love that. When it comes to trust, I'm a very highly sensitive person. Like, uh, I. I don't, I try not to take things personally, but sometimes things just do right. And being an, a very highly attuned empath as well. I feel like I wear my heart on my sleeve. I tell everybody everything to your saying before about Jesus, uh, saying, don't put the pearls in front of the swan. I feel like I, I, give of myself all the time wait, wait, did you say swan it's swine the oh, pig. swine yeah the pig the pig yes the swans actually you know swans swans can be brutal i learned that on the golf course you know a lot of times they'll be floating around <laughs> the little pond yeah don't don't get close no, to yeah. swans <laughs> Yeah, I was wondering about that one. I hadn't heard that one before. Um, glad I heard you wrong on that. Uh, when it comes to trust, for those of us who have just been hurt so many times before, where do you start to develop that trust? And how do you know? Here's the other thing that happens. I'm just going to break it down. Like, I'll want to be somebody's best friend right away, right? And maybe like we give too much too fast in a relationship where other people are slower and let the relationship build over a couple of years. I'm like, let's go, you know, like hanging out with the person all the time. You're my new bestie. Why are we different like that? And and do we need to learn how to kind of slow our roll? And is it better for relationships and friendships? to start more slowly? Well, let me ask you a couple of questions. Yeah. Okay. In fact, I should just give you a homework assignment. Yeah. Go, go why? I, I, I wish I knew the names of them, but there's, there's a handful of them out there because I saw one or two. These shows on Netflix are, are, 
you know, one of the streaming services about these really bad guys that come and trick a woman into how wonderful they are and they're how wealthy they are and you're going to fly them all over the world and they have this you know incredible weekend and then they disappear because they have banking to do in switzerland and but then you you get a text oh my gosh my i left something something i don't have any credit cards can you wire me something? Yes. have you seen those yes they're unbelievable and 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 the women are so trusting because well, he treated me so well and he's so wonderful. And, and then ultimately they're bankrupt. It happened to a relative of mine, actually, a, a, a cousin. She was um, in her sixties when this happened, early sixties, pretty wealthy woman, very smart woman. And her husband died and she had a, money manager from one of the reputable banks, Wall Street banks, one of the big firms, who she found out after they started dating and he was so wonderful and then they were going to get married. She was slowly turning over power of attorney to him and she ended up in bankrupt and she had millions and gazillions ended up bankrupt, nothing she could do about it, and went to work as a receptionist, probably in her late 60s, and had to work the rest of her life because of what you're saying, that she, from day one, let's go, we're besties, right? And it is possible to go to Vegas and put everything on red and win. It's also possible to lose everything. It is. It is. So, so what I did in the book Trust was just in part for people like you, who you, this wonderful heart, so much love, here's a problem. If you are a loving and responsible person, you very may well have a big problem. And the problem is you, out of your love and the way that you respond to people, you assume everybody's like you. I do, 100%. Yeah. Well, newsflash, <laughs> not everybody is like you. Most people can put on a uniform that looks like you for a minute or for a month or for however long it takes to seduce someone into yeah. trusting them. But some people are not out, not even out to hurt you, but they're not as loving and responsible as you are. And when they do not take responsibility for something or do something insensitive, which we all do, and they do hurt you, okay, you assume, well, they're like me. If I hurt somebody's feelings, they tell me and I go, oh, I'm so sorry. I didn't mean to do that. I won't do that anymore. And you adapt. Well, they hurt you, and you say that, and what happens? Well, that's not true. That didn't hurt. I didn't do that. Well, that's because you. It was because, and now they're gaslighting, they're minimizing, they're using denial and all the classic, you know, kind of narcissistic defenses, or they're splitting you off and all bad and going off and telling the rest of the world how evil you are. And 
they started out so nice, but they're not as responsible in their love as you are. And so you can't just make the assumption that everybody is like you. And loving people, especially empaths, as you're referring to them, do this all the time. Why? Because that is a function of empathy. Yeah. Okay. But you're not only empathy. Yeah. There's a warrior in there too. It's got to be called to battle sometimes when she's needed. (laughs) And so, and not only is there a warrior, look, great example. Let's pretend you're a bank. Okay. Because you're talking about how fast you trust me. That was the question, right? Let's pretend you're a bank. Somebody walks in. Okay. There's a few possibilities. They could be a bank robber. That happens. They can be a person with a lot of assets that they want to deposit in your bank, and you guys have a mutually satisfying relationship for decades. They're going to bring something to the party. You're going to bring something to the party. You provide things. They they provide assets. You provide services, and you get paid for those. They get to use your money. They go buy new skyscrapers, and everybody is happy. Mm -hmm. They could be somebody that is really struggling right now and needs money and comes in and sits down and talks to your loan officer and you decide, yeah, we really empathically, we really want to help you. And here's how much we can lend you. Can't lend you more than that. We can lend this much. And here's what you have to do you got to put up your your little brother as collateral. He's got to mow my grass for six years, right? (laughs) Or a car or something. You're giving to them, but it's limited because you don't want to have too much exposure because they do have some issues. And you're also requiring something from them with the help you give them. That's the third person that could walk in. A fourth person that could walk in is somebody who wants a loan and you look at everything, they're actively smoking crack. They, you know, are just got fired from a third job because they went off on the boss. They, you know, have this pattern of bankruptcies. And you're just go, you know, after examining this, I'm, I'm sorry, but we can't help. Mm-hmm. All right. Each one of those takes time before you invest in them. Now, the bank robber doesn't take much time, and the answer is no. But the bank robber didn't walk in, you're handing them money, right? You're waiting until it's an appropriate investment based on what you know. And so what the trust book does is I, I, I got deep into the research of the functions of how humans trust and what breaks trust and what builds it and how it's repaired and all of that. And what what I tried to do is there are factors we all have a go button inside like you're saying an empath hits the go button really quickly but sometimes the go button you know you got an accelerator on your car you don't just get in your car and slam it to the floor in the driveway right Right. You make sure you're on the right road. (laughs) There's some lanes you want to check out 
what's coming in the other direction? <laughs> Do I hear noise that this thing might blow up? So there are some factors that we need a dashboard mm -hmm. for trust. Mm -hmm. I want to hit the gas. I want to engage with this person. I want to trust. I want to go deeper. They have so much to offer. It could be so great. But I better check the oil. I better look at the temperature of the engine. I better look at how much fuel do we have. And that's what the book does. It gives you some, some ways to look at, no matter what I feel, I better make sure that some things are true before I give them my heart or my soul or my body or my wallet or whatever it is. So that's what the book does. And, and it also, it teaches you when, I, I, I wrote the subtitle for a reason, you know, when to give it. Yeah. Because we have to trust. It's important to trust. You'll never have a life that's very scalable without trust. I mean, I, I was sitting on an airplane, and this guy says, what are you doing? I said, I'm doing some research on trust. He goes, oh, well, I don't trust anybody. So I learned a long time ago, you can't trust me, but I only trust myself. And I said, you know, I, I'm a psychologist, and you're crazy. Yeah. <laughs> he goes, what do you mean? I said, you're crazy. Don't tell me you don't trust anybody. Look out the window. You're at 43,000 feet. You didn't get yourself up here. <laughs> you're trusting the pilot. Thank you. Not only the pilots, whom you kind of can see, how do you know the guy that put fuel in the plane didn't put chocolate milk in there? You trusted him too, mm -hmm. right? You trusted the cars to stay in the other lane. As you drive. Don't tell me you don't trust anybody. If you didn't trust anybody, you wouldn't be able to eat lunch. You'd think the food has E. coli in it. You trusted somebody to inspect it. I said, but my hunch is you've been hurt in some significant relationships, and there's some ways in the personal arena that in my language, your trust muscle is broken. Yeah. And because of that, and I'd love to hear your story, your life is limited in some ways. And I mean, somebody's going to build a business. It's only going to become big if you can hire somebody to go do something so you can do something else. That's how you scale any. It's how anything gets bigger is because we trust. So we have to trust. But we have to know how to trust and when to trust, when not to give it. And then the other side of the equation, people are going to invest in you when they trust you. Mm -hmm. Now, why do people tune into your podcast? Probably consistency. There's over 450 episodes. Um, we have like a new podcast episode every Monday, every Thursday. I don't take a break with like seasons. I think that for as much as I am spiritual and I live my life based on my intuition and the other side and my faith, I'm very rational. And I think the word is probably pragmatic and down to earth and grounded with how I look at things too. And so um, I think I bring a balanced approach. You just outline the book, right? So why do people trust? Well, because they can depend mm -hmm. on getting certain things from you that meets a need that they have. And, and you mentioned several factors in there. You know, one of them you said was, was consistency. 
Well, I divide the book into five, five different components that have to be present for us to trust. And the last one is something called track record. Mm-hmm. And basically our minds build maps, right? So we have a, a mental map that we're building in a relationship, okay? In, in the last however long we've been together here, your mind is constructing a map of what it's like to interview me, okay? My mind's constructing a map of what it's like to be interviewed by you. Now, I'm going to operate on the map that I have. Now, I've only got a little map so far, but if we hung up now and you called me next week and say, you know, I was looking at one of your other books, I'd really like for you to come back on and let's talk about Okay, so what my mind is going to do is answer the question, what happened the last time? Mm -hmm. And it's going to come up with, she was awesome. I love talking to her. Are you kidding? Yeah, let's go do it, right? But I can tell you, I've done a few of these. We're launching a book right now, right? I've done a few of these this week. And if they call back, I'm going to go, nah, sorry, I don't, I don't think it's exactly a good fit. Because we're learning to trust or not trust based on what happened last time. Mm-hmm. Now, it's amazing how many people get hurt or don't get a good response or this, that, and the other. And out of the goodness of their heart, they just go back. And because the person says, I'm sorry, well, you know, what did Forrest Gump say? It was it sorry is as stupid is as stu- what it was it stupid stupid is? is as stupid does. Yeah. Well, sorry is as sorry does, right? Yeah. And sorry has to do with the past, but trust always has to do with the future. Mm-hmm. Sorry and forgiveness is free, and we should give it. If you're not a forgiver, you are shortening your life and ruining your life. But that has to do with stuff that's already happened. We're talking about trust next week. So if somebody says, I'm sorry, that doesn't, because tr- sorry is free, trust is earned, that's what I'm saying. They haven't earned another interview. Yes. So what you're saying, too, to everybody is you, you want to be a forgiver, um, but that forgiveness, we still need those strong boundaries because there's so yeah. many people who uh, there's so many empaths who really get attracted to narcissistic friends or partners. And it's because that empath really doesn't have as much boundaries, I would say, probably as the typical individual and the narcissist is on the opposite spectrum from that and they know that they can just dominate and rule that person because of the lack of boundaries that's right you can invade invade their property yeah own it and they own other people's feelings and and if you go back to the trust model you know number one if you this book is almost like a and a vaccine against narcissists, really. It really is. Just right out of the package, because the very first necessary component for trust is somebody understands you and your needs. Mm-hmm. Okay? We trust someone, and, and God wired into us 
physiologically, neurologically, biologically, neurobiologically, and psychologically responses to somebody understanding us. That's what empathy is, okay? And you're wired, everybody's heard the term mirror neurons. Mm -hmm. There's so much research on when a human feels mirrored, like somebody, I'm with you, Mm -hmm. I'm getting you. And you see their expressions that show, I understand, and all of that. Your whole being is just opening up. That's what causes a baby to suck Mm -hmm. and to take in love and to take in the connection because the mother is mirroring, oh, you're upset, oh, it's okay. And 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 then the happiness in there, and you and they learn their expressions and they learn who they are. You you're only gonna trust somebody if you feel like they understand what hurts you. Mm They understand what you're afraid of. They understand, you know, what makes you happy. Okay, so let's go back to the vaccine for narcissists. What happens when you tell a narcissist that something doesn't feel good? What do they do? Exactly. uh, I did like the rare. They they jump out at you. They they attack you and they want to like beat you down. That's right. They gaslight you, they deny it, they minimize, they excuse, they project it onto you, they shoot the messenger. But what, you don't trust me? What are you saying? And you get attacked. Well, you just flunked the number one factor of the five of when to trust somebody. So if somebody doesn't, if they can't say, oh my gosh, I'm sorry, I didn't, I didn't mean to hurt you, tell me Tell me what I did. Tell me. See, now they're trying to get curious about because I certainly don't want to do that again. Or if there's a misunderstanding, it wasn't what I was trying to do. But their first attempt is to get out of their yard, walk over to your house and find out why is there smoke coming out of the kitchen? Not, you know, throw more bombs over there that caused the smoke to begin with. And so if you think about the trust model in this book, it actually, I never thought of that in those terms. It's kind of a vaccine against narcissists. A hundred percent. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And even you go to the second one, what's the second quality in the model? When somebody, I can understand you, but what's my motive? Yeah. A predator, a even a malignant narcissist will, you know, it happens romantically all the time. He'll, he'll, He'll meet a woman and just mirror her and understand and listen. And you're so amazing. And, and it's all, you know, so, so much empathy. Oh, I can't believe your ex did that to you, especially about, you know, when you get into the talking about the ex or so, and oh, you're so wonderful. How could anybody ever treat you like this? And they go home and say, I found the one, yeah, because they feel understood. But the second component is, what's the motive? Mm. Because what's going to happen with a narcissist is you're going to get into a relationship where it's all about them. Their agenda is the agenda for the relationship. It's all about them and their needs and what they want. Mm -hmm. It's not also about what you need and what you want. And in a good relationship, somebody is trustworthy when they look out not only for their own needs, but they really have your back. Mm -hmm. And they're thinking about what you need. 
narcissistic people don't do that. They use you to meet their needs. And so if you have these kind of like things floating through your head, you end up asking the question, why? Why do we always end up going where he wants to go? Mm -hmm. Why do we always end up around his friends and not mine? Yeah. Why do you want to meet my family? You know, on and on and on and on and on. So it's good. The reason I wrote the book was it's good to have a dashboard to begin to check how is this measured up. But not only that, for a couple to use as a checkup. Mm -hmm. I mean, what a great thing to sit down every now and then and say, how am I doing it? at understanding what you're needing in our relationship right now. Mm -hmm. How am I doing in making you feel like I'm looking out for you and what you want? Yeah. And just go down the list. That's beautiful. That would help, right? For sure. For sure. One of the things things we used to do with the girls, we had two daughters and we would have... um, (laughs) And I would get a beat. I'm the the, the one trying to drive this, right? and they're always rolling their eyes, oh, yeah, with another life lesson, you know. But, but we would do, um, uh, when it got time to talk, we usually do it on Sunday night. And Okay, okay, guys, family meeting time. It's time to have family meeting. So that meant call to order. There's certain little things we're going to do. But one of them was go around the table, and, and each person would have to ask, okay, so what's it like to be on the other end of me this week? Mm. Wow, that is powerful. Say that again. What was it like to be on the other end of me this week? Wow. And so we go around and each person would say, well, you know what? When you did this or that, that was so cool. You know, that helped us so much or we enjoyed that so much. And, but when you did this, that's not so cool. Can you not do that anymore? <laughs> But it's the basic thing of sitting down and trying to understand the other side and how it feels like to be on the other side of me in a relationship, because that's very, very important. That's the first element of trust. Do you have some ground rules with that, with the family, so that it doesn't become shaming? Or does a family need to know what shame is and how not to go into the shame take when doing that and asking that question? Yeah, I think that's um, that's part of good good training, right? So that's a great point because then you could end up the next Sunday night. What did I do this week that you didn't like? Well, last week when you told me what I didn't do that you didn't like, <laughs> <laughs> you did it in such a sucky way that uh, we don't want to do that anymore. Anymore. So, you know, one of the things that you know, especially with kids, what what you're doing with a kid is the way I always looked at it is this has nothing to do with today. This always has to do with tomorrow. You know, parenting is you're, you're building adults is what you're doing. You know, parenting is always about thinking about, am I raising a kid that somebody's going to be around one day? Right. And so to your point, 
you know, the ground rules are when you're telling somebody what it felt like to be on the other end of you, that's where you start to teach. Say, if they say, well, you were so mean. I said, wait a minute. No, there's a different way to say that. When you did this, I felt this. Mm-hmm. I would like for you to do this instead. And so the, you know, that's a boundary violation. The you, 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 and you make me so. Instead of when you did this, it makes me not feel close to you. Mm-hmm. Well, if you learn to express feelings in a, I want to be close to you, but when you do that, I find myself pulling away from you. Mm-hmm. That's a loss for the other person. Yeah. Which may motivate them to not do that as opposed to shaming. Like yours. One of those that comes up often in my household from my husband's point of view, because he's the cleaner, he would sweep and mop every single night if I let him. Okay. You better not say that because every woman in the world is going to come steal this. I just told that to a friend the other day. I was like, if I ever pass away, all of the casserole ladies will all be over here. He's the best man in the entire world. That's okay. I'll put that out there. He he deserves that credit. He's the best. Um, but he'll say, you know, to my daughter, when you, I ask you to um, put away the dishes and you don't put it away, it makes me feel overwhelmed and anxious because I want to spend time with you guys at night, but I can't spend time with you until everything's clean and put away. A lot better than saying, you're so irresponsible, you little thing, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. Amazing. Do you have time for one more quick question? Yeah, but I, I, I've got, I've also got, got one that I would lend to him if he wants to use yeah, it. Yeah, tell me that. You know how I ask you to, to, you know, your stuff that you left in the den or the kitchen, you know, your jacket and your skateboard and your iPhone or whatever the age appropriate. Remember, I asked you to go put that stuff up. Well, you know, we have something called common areas. Now you have your room, but common areas are where we use those in common. So the kitchen and the den, for example, those are everybody gets to use those spaces. And your own toys and stuff, they can't, if you leave them in the common area Mm -hmm. after a certain time, then here's what happens. I'm going to teach you a new word. It's called impounding. So if you like, for example, if I leave my car in the parking lot past eight, they impound it. They take, and then I've got to buy it back. So we're going to have a new rule and, and we're going to have, you know, at, at eight o'clock, if everybody's stuff isn't out of the den, out of the kitchen and in your room, it's going to get impounded and you're going to have to buy it back. Oh, I think a lot of mamas out there will like that one. (laughs) You wouldn't believe how fast that place gets cleaned up. That is a boundary that works. I'll give you another one. Yes. When my girl started, you know, the you, 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 and they were, daddy, she took my daddy, she, you know, and they're, they'd run to me. You got two of them right there and they're pointing fingers, right? At some point I said, okay, girls. What you've done here is you've got what's called a dispute. You have an argument, okay? And you brought that to daddy court. And you're asking me to be the judge, okay? And I will be. And anytime you guys have a problem, 
if you want to bring it to daddy court, I will decide who's right <laughs> and who's wrong. But there's court fees. <laughs> okay. And I'm expensive <laughs> as a judge. So here's the way this works. If you bring me an argument or something and you want me to decide she's bad or it's your fault or whatever, I will do it, but loser pays the court fees. Ooh, that's teaching some big lessons. Yeah, you come to me and tell me she did this and that's why, and I decide, no, that's not right. Then you're going to pay the court fees and vice versa. So tell me what you're arguing about. And they said, what, what do you mean court fees? I go, I don't know. Depends on how long it takes. I mean, it might be your bike. <laughs> <laughs> it could be your favorite tennis shoes. I don't know. Every trial has got a different price. They literally looked at each other and looked back at me and said, we're good. Well, that's okay. And they ran. <laughs> we'll figure it out, dad. <laughs> we'll figure it out. We'll figure it out. And they did. <laughs> That's amazing. I love those examples. Those are great. It is taking adulthood and rolling it back. Yeah. It's not about getting your homework in time. It's about turning in your taxes on April 15th when you're 37. That's what it's about. For sure. Yeah. You have to tell me before we go, what is the law of happiness? It's a book I wrote. It's a title. Basically, Here's how it happened. You know the book, The Secret? Mm -hmm. So the publisher of The Secret called me because I'd written, in addition to my business books and, and psychology books, I'd written a number of faith books. And the publisher called me and said, you know, we would like to make a version of The Secret for the Judeo-Christian faith audience. And, and they said, so I think the way she put it was a lot of the, you know, the principles come from the Bible and, and or something. I can't remember exactly. And I said, well, I hadn't read it, but I'll, I'll be glad to go read it because they wanted me to write that version, that book. And so I went and read it. And I said, well, there are some principles in here, I think, that, that you find that are universal. I said, there are some differences. Though. Mm -hmm. So like what? And I said, well, for one, the Bible doesn't think we are God. Thank God <laughs> there is a person that is separate from us. That is a person that and we're not God. And it's not an impersonal force, just attraction in the unit. There is a person. That's where we get personhood is because we're made in the image of God. And so that's why it's not just the force. There literally is a person. But Here's what I would like to do. I would like to write what I think is the secret from my faith perspective. And so I wrote that book. It's called The Secret Things of God. And then, you know, people liked it. And so they called back and said, um, well, this, you know, human thriving genre, um, we really liked it and the way you did it. What would you like to write about? next in that in that space and i said well and this would have been the time about the time where it had just become what came to be known as positive psychology it's a whole field now mm -hmm. this would have been you know 10 or 12 years ago 
and the book's still out there, but when this happened, and because I work a lot in the area of high performers and, you know, CEOs and athletes and, you know, business performers and, and human thriving because, I, you know, programs for their entire company. So employees thrive and flourish, that kind of stuff. So it's deep into the research of what's called positive psychology. What, what happened was the president of the APA said, we've been studying dysfunction for a hundred years and we know why people get depressed and how to cure them. And we know how to cure addictions and anxiety and all this, but nobody's ever studied why are people happy? What makes them happy? And so it's kind of a long answer, but I'll try no, to- No, I love this. This is like wildly fascinating. Well, so what I did was, and I had spent so many years deep in that research and the, the neurological research and the brain science and the physiological research and anatomy and endocrine systems and psychological dynamics. And that's kind of where I live. And I thought, you know what I'd like to do is I would like to write a book because they asked me to enter, you know, integrate it with my faith. And because that's the audience they were trying to write to, people were interested in faith and spirituality and stuff like that. And, and so I said, I would like to write a book on what causes human thriving that's empirically based, based on actual, the actual research, which by this time we had so much research on this. And so what I did was to put my arms around it, I went back and studied the entire field of human thriving and did a factor analysis and looked at the factor analyses that had been done because people talk about a million things, but really they're, they're kind of like a dozen things yeah. that are called a hundred thousand things. But really when you, you're really talking about this and this and this and this. And so when I did that and I looked at those factors, it felt like I was reading the scriptures hmm. because the actual research shows that, and this is done around the world for decades, that only about 10% of anybody's happiness has anything to do with anything circumstantial. And people always think, well, I'll be happy if I got that job, or I'd be happy if I lived in that house, or if I had that car, if I had that, you know, whatever. Yes. And what happens is when you get it, this thing you've been dying for, when you get it, your happiness takes a bump. It does go up about 10% and it comes back down after a little bit of time. The new car smell wears off a little bit and you return to a set point, like a thermostat of how happy you are as a person apart from that event. So. What's that 90% composed of? Well, some of it, some of it is biological and temperament. You know, you look at you can look at babies going to nursery in the nursery, right? At the hospital. And the one of them's like, ah, they just love the world and they're happy. And the next is like, you know, they're the future attorneys, right? They're, they're gonna become lawyers, right? They are up for a fight all the time. But some of it's kind of constitutional wiring and and there's some. There's things we can do to affect that as well. But the other big chunk is a set, these factors, a set of life practices. 
that are around the world, rich or poor, healthy, unhealthy, single, married, whatever, people that are like this are the happy people. Mm-hmm. And when I went and studied it, when I said it was like reading the scriptures, it was about the level of love they have in their life. It's about the, the level of purpose they have in their life. It's about how much forgiveness they have in their life. It's about how much self-control they have, feeling of autonomy and freedom and not being controlled by other people. It's about the quality of their thinking patterns and on and on and on. And so that's what the law of happiness is about, is that there is, Moses said, he gave us, these laws and regulations so that we might always prosper. That's what Deuteronomy says that, and that word means to thrive. Mm-hmm. I mean, everybody's going to make billions. It means that in whatever circumstance you're in, that you're going to thrive. And so that's what the book's about. Oh, I love that. That's my next read. You tell me. Yes. Dr. Cloud, thank you so much for being here and just your wealth of expertise. All of your books are just immensely helpful. I've loved reading them. They're very easy to read, like, and and I love all the tips and tricks and stories that you bring in. When it comes to finding you and your work and and the book Trust, where should they go to find that? Well, to find the book, um, obviously wherever books are sold. (laughs) But if you go to drcloud.com, forward slash trust. Um, and then on that website, you can find out about everything. If you go to the homepage, there's something called boundaries.me, which is a platform I have that has over a hundred courses. Wow. Think of Netflix, how you have different genres, mystery, suspense, action. Well, this is a platform I've built. You got relationships, codependency, addictions, reaching goals, marriage, divorce, recovery, uh, over a hundred courses on there. Boundaries.me. Boundaries.me. Perfect. Thank you so much for being here. Okay. It's really, really fun. We'll do it again sometime. Beautiful soul. Thank you so much for joining me today. My name's Julie. You know, I'm all about connecting you with messages from your angels and loved ones on the other side. If you've been listening today and you're super excited and just have to know which angels are around you right now, who's connecting with you, and what messages they have for you, go to theangelmedium.com. Register for a session. You can do a reading with me or a member of my team. We're all incredible. We all talk to angels daily, and we can help you in making sure that your angels are doing the very best they can to support you and guide you to your best life. If this sounds like you, virtual sessions, they're only offered on my website. Sign up today. And if you're the person who's really excited, you're ready to go all in developing all of your unique spiritual gifts, growing your intuition, starting your own healing business, you can sign up for my Angel Reiki School to become a certified angel messenger. That's for the healers among us who feel called to grow their intuition to the max and serve humanity with their gifts. 
You'll learn Reiki, mediumship, how to deliver angel messages, and how to get clients. That's the Angel Reiki School at theangelmedium.com or DM me on Instagram at angelpodcast with any questions. Before you go, connect with your angels by placing your hands on your heart. Take a deep breath. Imagine a doorway filled with God's unconditional love is right in front of you. Step into that love and feel it as it fills your body, chakras, and auric field. Now ask your angels, what would you have me know today? And open yourself to the positive, loving messages they have just for you.